What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the On Time Armchair Producers for this week. That's right, we are Armchair Producers. This is episode 176, coming at you a week later, but we did have my random little Oscars half-hour event rant thing on Friday last week, which a bunch of you seem to watch, so thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Um, but we are back to the main show. We are back to the meat and potatoes, and we have got as is the tradition. We have got the talent, Mr. Travis Croft, back from self-imposed exile, from the plains of the Neverwhere. How are you, my good friend? I am fine and dandy and strangely punctual after being uh, deported from Uzbekistan yet again. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll get there one day. Um, uh, I am I'm all right. I, I am glad to be back in the air. We've got a big show this week. We've got a very, um, very topical topical chain film this week from 20 years ago um but we have some more current stuff um in the offing afterwards so please stick around yeah. if you're not yeah. old enough to remember the chain film which some of you may be not um terrifying thought it is 21 years old and again it's not by far the old, not the oldest we've done we've done not, not 60 <laughs> 70 year old film. but yeah, yeah we've done movies um, that we weren't alive for but you know if believe it, yes, film didn't exist before we were born. Believe it or not, we aren't that quite though. But... It was one of the questions that I asked my mum once when I was a young kid because I was watching TV shows and I honestly just asked her, when did God invent colour? Ah. <laughs> because Fine. there's a point from a media where colour suddenly became a thing. It's like, all right, colour didn't exist until then. <laughs> That's so, a fine um, question. I don't understand what the problem with that question is. Um, <laughs> just quickly, um, did you watch the Oscars or I didn't work probably? I didn't, I didn't even realize it was actually Oscars Day until suddenly everything everywhere all at once took over everything everywhere all at once. Uh, just quickly, I think probably speaking for both of us, I didn't get to see your rant show, unfortunately. I was at a birthday party on Friday night. Um, I think it was a Friday. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I felt like it was actually it was a sheer nice Oscars night for a chance. Like the films I actually wanted to see win one. Yeah. Everything everywhere all at once was far away the first film I mm. saw last year. Yep. Uh, very deserving, a very deserving winner of most things. Um yeah. smidgen disappointed that Kate Dan Blanchett lost out in the uh, best actress, but the, it was Michelle's year and she was fabulous anyway. Yeah. And now she you have a best best actress winner who's in two terrible TV shows objectively in Star Trek Discovery and that Witcher show you talked about a few weeks ago. So, yeah. um, and about yeah, apparently that's... the Daniels are doing Star Wars. <laughs> Why? I, I, th I think that so like we get these so like Oscar winning writers and directors suddenly being announced. Oh, they're coming in to do Star Wars because Star Wars doesn't know what they're fucking doing with their franchise. And it's just, oh, we're just going to jump on this hype and hopefully this person will make something. But to be honest, I also don't fully expect this um, skeleton crew that the Daniels are supposed to be doing to actually amount to anything. Like, there's the Taika Waititi thing that's supposed to happen. There was so there was the um, uh, what was it? The, the director of um, Wonder Woman. Oh, uh, Patty Jenkins had a thing. Yeah, her rogue rogue thing is indefinitely frozen in the bowels of hell somewhere. Like they they announce these things and they don't amount to anything. It's a fair point. It was uh, it was a nice night though. I, I did a we were, we were we were right about the whale winning best actor. It was never anyone else in the argument really. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching it. Disappointing that no one was attacked on stage this year, but you know, <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, but that was last week. This is this week, and we are going on to our chain movie of the week, which was a uh, a marked change of pace and style and genre for us, and purposely chosen for those very reasons. We are following on from last chain movie, which was Love Actually. The link was Ryan Atkinson. We are going to his turn as the amusement park owner in Scooby-Doo. That's right. So, had you seen this before? Uh, I had a long ass time ago when they were saying, oh, it's amazing how good they've made Scooby-Doo look and how well it works with the live action actors. So it's been a while. <laughs> But, <laughs> um, I had exactly not seen this film I before. Uh, I, this is my first before? time. Oh. I, 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 my, I had not seen it before. I was uh, the, um, I mean, I guess I, it kind of figured it was a kid's film back in 2002 mm. when it came out, and I wasn't mistaken. Um, <laughs> it is. Um, here's the shocking thing, for, the headline, shocking headline for me. Mm. This wasn't that bad. At least the first half of it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies which mostly knows what it's trying to do and just goes, "Yep, this is what we're this is the tone that we're going for. This is the style. This is the expectation, and we're just gonna keep on hitting that button." And it overall, yeah, it does what it intends to do. But before we go too far. Let's go into a little bit of the information. So this is directed by Raja Gosnell, who um, directed the sequel, uh, Monsters Unleashed. It stars Matthew Lillard as Shaggy, Freddie Prince Jr. as Fred, Sarah Michelle Gellar as Daphne, Lin Linda Cardinelli as Velma. Um, you've got Rowan Atkinson as Mondavarius, and Isla Fisher in a younger role. Oh, she doesn't look like I imagine her to look as a younger person. I don't know if she, her face has changed a lot. Uh, she plays Mary Jane, and that is kind of it for the big names that people will really know, I think. There's a bunch of kind of, oh, I recognize that face from somewhere, but you're not going to recognize that. And the other big name associated with this is writer James Gunn. <laughs> the, the story. After an acrimonious breakup, the Mystery Inc. gang are individually brought to an island resort to investigate strange goings-on. Which is pretty fair. That's pretty, uh, much pretty, pretty, pretty much what you would expect from a uh, Scooby-Doo story, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the story begins fr essentially from there. We have, um, as is kind of part of the course when it's as like a split and revival story we see a little bit of the team working and it's it's bad hijinks the plan doesn't go according to plan still managed to make the save but everyone's frustrations are up and we see the split and then we cut to time later this is what brings them back together they have been individually connected or invited to solve the mystery of, I think it was Skeleton Island or Spooky Island, I think. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, Spooky Island. So very <laughs> they were up all night thinking about that one, weren't they? It took time. Someone had a nosebleed on that one. 
Um, yeah, what do you say about a film like this? Um, what is interesting about the film is probably what isn't on the screen in a lot of ways. Because if you do read about what they had intended, what James Gunn had intended for this, mm-hmm. like James Gunn's an interesting filmmaker. If you look at his background before, this is his first really big um, studio uh, yeah. writing gig. Um, he came from Troma Films. Um, if you're and not for familiar, those who do not know, what are Troma Films? Troma right? is a very low-budget schlock horror studio, or best known for schlock horror things like mm-hmm. uh, The Toxic Avenger, uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, Surf Nazis Must Die. I think we watched a class of Newcomb High on the show like about <laughs> 10 years ago or something like that. Um, maybe we did, I can't remember. But that kind of really slow-rent, schlocky crap. His first ever screenplay was a film called Tromeo and Juliet. Oh, that's right. Um, his first, and that's a feature, believe it or not. That's 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 um, a feature film. You can. I remember seeing it back in the nineties, some point. Um, and this was only five or six years later. Um, he, yeah, he did a couple of things in between there. He did um, a bunch of other stuff for Troma. Mm-hmm. He did a, a movie called The Specials, which I did consider moving on to this week because, fascinatingly, The Specials. It sounds like a cat, crap film. It was directed <laughs> by Craig Mazin. Craig Mazin, best known for writing uh, Chernobyl and more recently, The Last of Us. Yeah. Um, so he's gone on to bigger and better things as well. He also I, apparently does some additional writing on 13 Ghosts, which um, is a really terrible horror film. Is that the one of Kevin Bacon? Um, no, sorry. it wasn't. Uh, oh, I was thinking oh, of the Invisible Man one. Yeah. Anyway, um, but after that, this is his first credited studio writing gig. Um, and you look at the guy who's come from that background, from trauma, which is not politically correct, not for kids, you know, um, schlock horror, adult themes, you know, um, nasty and dirty, um, yeah. to then turn around and write a, a goody goody two shoes, you know, teen mm-hmm. fi- kids film like this. This is not the film he wrote. Um, <laughs> apparently, it was much more uh, adult oriented, um, with a, an angle of Velma directly having, you know, a lesbian relationship with um, uh, Daphne or, or at least, you know, a, a, an on-screen kiss, mm. which in 2002 would have been very radical, you know. Um, mm. You can have the new Mindy Kaling crap one with, you know, as an out-and-out lesbian, but, you know, I don't think in 2023 that's a big deal. I think we all just assumed. Mm. Um, but uh, apparently the idea behind the film originally was it to be more of a comedic parody of the Scooby-Doo Mm. Uh, cartoons more along the lines of something like Josie and the Pussycats, if you remember that, mm. which which I think is an underrated film. Personally, I know it's it didn't do well and everybody hates it, but uh, I thought the tone was cl- I enjoyed the clever wink at the audience tone that apparently I guess after You're that friendship, yeah, the sure means crash positions. Um, <laughs> uh, there's so many. It's a funny movie. I'm sorry, um, but. Uh, Scooby-Doo, I think this year probably rightly said, mm, well, the last one of those we tried failed miserably. Uh, and apparently they, they they came in and asked for changes mm-hmm. and for it to be more or- family-oriented, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can still see the original somewhere a, a couple of times. There's a little bit of cleavage towards the back end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently there was a bit of digital effects work done to clean up a lot of the cleavage that was originally. That's shot. right. Um but I think this might have worked better if it had been left that way from a film perspective. All that said, this film made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, James Gunn 
I think he told the story about this on Twitter a couple of years ago. I remember reading a thread about it mm. about how he remember getting him getting a phone call like the day the first night sort of receipts came in and he had done better than it was expected. And he kind of felt like at that point in time he was safe. You know, he was going to get another gig. Yeah, um, it is. It's an he's an interesting man, James. He's, he's just very open on Twitter about about his experiences. He's a great storyteller. Um, but from an actual film perspective, it might have been more fun to watch if he kept the original tone because the okay. first half is kind of goofy and kind of fun. Yep. The second half, it really gets bogged down. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you. I I don't think I'm going to bother putting spoilers up for the Scooby-Doo movie. It's 20-odd years old. The, the, the sudden, like beginning of third act twist and the revelation of scrappy do it was like wait what <laughs> i i was not expecting that it felt shoved in and it was just bad apparently the original idea was the ghost thing at the start of the day but they that they ended up being the lunar ghost or whatever it was originally written as one of the villains but um they rewrote it for scrappy do um yeah that was stupid and it didn't work um i guess Things that did work for me in this film, the first and most obvious one in this is Matthew Lillard. Matthew oh. Lillard is the biggest asset I think this film has. Yeah. In a sense, I think the cartoon for me. Did you, did you watch the cartoon when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. When well, I, for me, it was always about Scooby and Shaggy. Right. Yeah. They were the the the, you know, the 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 comedic value in the show, I guess, when you're a kid. And the others were kind of a straight men. You know, yeah. Straight people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, um, the fact that they look, I don't think, look, I think the animation does look a bit shaky now, 23 years on or 21 years on, sorry, but it's not irredeemably it's not... awful. Yeah. The voice work for um, uh, Scooby is done by Neil Fanning, who I think does, has been doing Scooby for a while now. Yeah. And interestingly, Stephen, uh, sorry, Matthew Lillard was so successful as Shaggy in this. He's been voicing Shaggy, I think, for most things ever since. Pretty much, yep. Um, he, and his his performance in this is almost akin to the performances of Tim Curry in Muppet Treasure Island and Michael Caine in um, Muppet's Christmas Carol because he knows what movie he's in and he acts to that accordingly. And he does very well working off of a CGI dog. Um, he knows that this is firmly got its tongue in its cheek and he knows the history of it. You can t you can tell that he's he's fully aware of what's going on here, and it is very much within his wheelhouse as an actor. And you can see it compared to the rest of them, where they're kind of playing almost like cookie cutter expectations of the characters. Yeah, it, it's 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 not as much fun. The rest of my I I look at Freddie Prince Jr. and I kind of go. Why was he famous again? Was he considered was he considered handsome at one point in time? Because I don't think he can act and I don't think he's handsome, but I remember him being a bit of a sex symbol at the time. Um he, he was in She's All That. I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. And this are his four kind of IMDB known fours. Like, yep, that that's about what I know him from. <laughs> And he's really bad in this. <laughs> he's really terrible actor. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, I think. Look, I, were you ever a fan of Buffy? Not really. 
I, I never got into Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I should be hung, drawn, and quartered by the Buffy fans for saying this, but I don't think she's much of an actor either. Um, no. Maybe she was just perfectly in it. You know, almost the, the Gal Gadot spot in the sense that, you know, right writer, director, right product, project, and she's fine. But yeah. I don't think she's in anything else I've seen her in that she's not been pretty much awful in. Yeah. Um, she had a couple of moments in this film, but for the most part, she was pretty forgettable. And I think yeah. at this moment in time when it came out, she was probably the biggest star in the film. Yeah. Because um, Buffy was probably still in the air in 2002, if I'm not mistaken. I uh, will look into that for you. But, uh, um, yeah, it was we, coming to one year before his final season. So, you know, I think he, I think he was some, some talk. I think she was flipping back and forth between Australia mm. and the US to, to film. Um, yeah. The show and that. I mean, because it was just filmed in Queensland. Um, Linda Cardellini, I think, is an underrated actor, and I think she made a very, very decent Velma. Um, yep. And so is, uh, we were, Michelle and I are watching this the other week. We're having a conversation. Is Why is it that Velma became the sex symbol of the show, really? I mean, not that this isn't a movie, but the cartoon, the property, uh, mm. the franchise of um, uh, Scooby-Doo, you know, why is Velma the, se the sex symbol, the icon of a show, aside from Scooby and Shaggy being, you know, famous in her own right? But, like, you know, the amount of people out there who do cosplays of Velma, you know, the sexy co Velma cosplay, like, mm -hmm. it's a thing, let me tell you, yeah. all right? Like, and and it's it, it seems like, I, I don't know, I, I didn't really think about any kind of uh, sexual orientation connection with any of the characters when I was watching it as a kid. But then suddenly it seemed almost out of nowhere. It seemed like Velma was like a, an idol of lesbian community. And it was like, okay, cool. Um, where did that come from? I, There's I, actually, I actually read a fascinating article about it. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember all the details, but that basically she was the one whose sexuality was most ambiguous. Um, and, and it was interesting talking to some other people who said to me, um, this is how much research I do on the show every week, by the way, even for oh, crap yeah. like Scooby-Doo, uh, who said to me that they they felt the connection with Velma because she was the brainy girl, not mm -hmm. because she they thought she was gay or anything like that, or they were gay. These are, these are mm -hmm. not people who were gay. But then other gay people were like, no, but like she was the other as well. She was the other person on the show, if you will. Uh, and like a lot of people saw a lot of themselves in that character for different reasons. Um it's it's a fa it's it's quite fascinating really but like a character in a ca children's cartoon show mm. which had nothing to do i mean even if they wanted to make her gay yeah and i think they did at an earlier point want to make her gay mm. but social mores being what they were they were not able to yeah but like a children's tv character becomes a gay icon yeah i uh, will be talking about another gay icon later in the show during megan but like um it's it's fascinating how these things find their way into the cultural zeitgeist, but I guess uh, in a world of cookie cutter characters who were all looked and felt one way, Velma as a character felt different to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess that makes sense. And and she is very good in this, uh, Linda yeah. Cuddling. I like to say things. So I've got it mixed up. I always get mixed up. I'm sorry. I should stop <laughs> drinking. Uh, <laughs> no, you just need to drink more. More. Isla Fisher does what Isla Fisher does. She was cute mm -hmm. um, and fun. And you can see that she, I think, was probably a, a level above mm -hmm. a lot of the people in the in the film. 
Yeah. Um, interestingly, I think she originally auditioned for the role of Daphne, but ended up with this one. She was a close second to Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. Um, fascinating, though, but she's a redhead, and they gave her a blonde wig. And they got a blonde actress and gave her a redhead wig for, for Daphne. But, you know, um, <laughs> Rowan Atkinson was completely wasted in this. A hundred percent. Oh, gosh. It was, a, it was the first half I found myself going, this is kind of fun and nostalgic because it really felt like an early 2000s film. You know, the haircuts, the clothes. The, the fact and, that they didn't tr even try and modernise what the characters were wearing either. The fact that um, Freddie Prince Jr. still had the... The, the cravat. The cravat thing, yeah. and stuff. is like, okay, in, in the real world... Put that on, on someone in the real world and he looks more like Speed Racer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, it's a uh, style and the music and the vibe yeah. just felt very early noughties. And it kind of took me back because it just doesn't, I mean, I, if you're a young person watching this now, it'll happen to you. Um, but fuck me dead. It doesn't feel like 21 years ago. I think 2002, I feel like that was five years ago in my head, yeah. you know, like, uh, I think about where I was. I'm like, I don't even remember this film coming out. Um, yeah. But I'm like, oh, yeah, a lot of people did have those haircuts. They were a bit unfortunate, weren't they? Yeah. Um, and halfway through, it was light and breezy enough that it was kind of fun. And they weren't spending too long on anything or in one place for you long enough to really notice that the story didn't make any sense, the characters didn't make any sense, yeah. and it was a load of shit. Yeah. Um, but once they get to the island and they get stuck into a mystery, that's when it really bogs down. They spend far too long in one place at one time. The monster design looks, if, if Scooby looks okay, the monsters are famous as skips on them. The monsters are stupid. It really got, does say something when you say they, they spend too much time on things. When they purposely split the party, it's like, okay, you've got three different threads that you can jump between. To have just something interesting for five minutes, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. That's easy, cheap writing. And then you have them come back together as, as they're kind of running through corridors and bump into each other, whatever you like. But it, ooh, it feels long. It really, like the first half, it was like easy breezy. Like, this is not too bad. What is, this has not got good reviews. It has. It's a, an hour and a half and it does five, not it like did, it. One hour, 26 and 5.2 on IMDb, a meta score of 35. Yeah. It's not fondly remembered. No. Um, I, I remember going, oh, this isn't so bad. I'm kind of enjoying the nostalgia trip here. Yeah. Um, but it, oh, the, the monster designs were crap. The story was ridiculous. Scrappy do as a villain was stupid. Um, it, it didn't make any sense. Oh. Um, and it really started to feel very creaky in the story yeah. department. And it was just, uh, and you're like, you sort of did start checking your watch in the last 20 minutes going, it's really, really dragging here. I was watching this with, um, with Crystal and I was sitting there awkwardly kind of looking over to her and sort of like going, Oh my God, I have, I have made this girl or I have, she she has willingly watched so many wonderful movies, Oscar-winning movies. We've gone gone on an Oscars kick recently, and she's been sitting there watching all of them with me. And I present her with this. I'm also like, I am so sorry. <laughs> Do you hate me right now? <laughs> I guess the interesting thing there is um, Crystal comes from a different country, a non-English-speaking background. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine that 
this is not a TV property that she grew up with. I don't know, to be honest. So she wouldn't have that childhood nostalgia that we have for, yeah, you know, the the, the, uh, the show. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense uh, potentially to someone who hadn't grown up with it. Uh, I remember years ago I worked with a bunch of people from um, who were in Australia from India. Yeah, and you know we used to play you know um, a, a name a game where you you, you have a celebrity hair it was called in Australia where you put a a name on a whiteboard behind them and they had to try and guess the name of a celebrity, and you put up. Britney Spears, Anna Schwarzenegger, and the amount of people, of these people, there were colleagues of mine from overseas mm. who literally had no idea who Arnold Schwarzenegger or Britney Spears were. And this is 2007, 2008, you know. They yeah. ruled the world in their times. And I'm like, it just it just goes to show. Like, there's sometimes there's cultural touchstones to you and me, which are like, Britney Spears was an icon. She was the biggest pop star in the world, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. One of the biggest, you know, movie stars in the world, probably to some degree, even today. And like, and he was also the governor of California at the time, which he was famous for. Yeah, yeah. No, that 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 did not penetrate the cultural zeitgeist in 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 India, at least the parts of India that these people were from. So um, sometimes it's easy to take for granted yeah. the fact that you and I know everything. We know Scooby Doo is so well known. You mm. don't really need to explain anything about the fact that that gag at the start about them uncovering a ghost and going, oh, man, we're from the amusement park. You know, um, it's um, I, it'd be fascinating. Oh, well, too bad, too late. If we can get her on as a guest and tell us how nonsensical it was. Did she forgive you? Yes. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> the relationship is stronger than ever. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I have a lot else to say about this other than he had some flair in there from James Gunn. Yeah, there, there, like, were, I can, there were little pepperings, wasn't there? And little bits and pieces you can see. Well, look, maybe at the time you wouldn't have thought so, but like in hindsight, you can see the, the little diamonds in the rough there that would go right. on to be so much greater when he was given a little bit more free reign, um, yeah. uh, a free run of things. But uh, it didn't come together too well with this one, unfortunately for me. Yeah. Do you think that this is a movie, considering 20-odd years ago, um, and the societal changes that we've had in what's acceptable and things like that. Do you think this movie is acceptable as a kids-focused movie for today's audiences? In some ways, no. Um, if I'm going to get political, and I know when people love it when I get political. There's, they the, whole, up for... there's the whole voodoo scene. Um, yeah. And, you know, that might be seen as being somewhat offensive now, considering... I don't think anybody who actually practices uh, voodoo or Santeria or anything like that was probably consulted. The people in the show, I am fairly sure, are not from the Caribbean. This is filmed in Australia. Most of them are Australians of some way, shape, or form. Um, that might be seen as being culturally insensitive or cultural appropriation, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm. Other than that, I think it's fairly inoffensive. Yeah, I do too. I think comp uh, when you compare it to... So like other comedy movies from around those sorts of times, like I'm thinking like Austin Powers, for example, there's a lot more culturally inappropriate things in those movies than, than there are this. And even taking into account a lot of the, the, the purposeful risque nature of Austin Powers, there's still some things that you kind of go. Ah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's even, you know, that's something even 10, 15 years ago, you can go, no, yeah. I don't, uh, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think this is they took their play this one with a very straight bat, apart from the voodoo scene. And even then, I don't know how 
upset the voodoo community would get about that because you know um they've been pretty <laughs> they're, they're uh, not exactly treated with a fair brush shall we no say? They, that's not the same usually, oh they're doing heinous horrible things it's like no there's a, there's a wonderful rainbow of possibilities under the voodoo banner shall we say of all sorts of things it's not just heinous blood magic that's cursing you and everyone else that's around you <laughs> not to speak for them i mean they may, may be very upset about how they're treated in film i don't know but like hey. that's the only thing in here that i was kind of going mm, i don't know about that you don't really you probably mm. shouldn't be poking fun at other people's religions yes especially that might be seen as punching down but i i didn't have a problem with it per se that just I remember thinking, going, mm, people get very sensitive about those things these days. I think Moana was cop some criticism of a Disney film because of um, some of the poor, uh, portrayals of, you know, Pacific Islander people in that. And, you know, The Rock was in that, and he is of Samoan descent. So you can't predict what people are going to get annoyed about these days. True. True. All right. So you have the keys, sir. They are yours. Where are you leading us? I had a last-minute change of heart, I'll have Ooh. to be honest. Okay. Uh, I went into the podcast tonight thinking we were going to be going to Brokeback Mountain. Um, but I decided to do something a little bit more fun because we have been very, very Oscars-focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a bit of a cheat because it's a film I've seen a few times. Would okay. not be surprised if you've seen it a few times. But it has a very interesting one-two punch of writer-director. Okay. We're going to the 2004 film Dawn of the Dead. Oh. And we have written by James Gunn, directed by Zack Snyder. The last two men involved in the DCEU or DCU as it is uh, teamed up for one horror film. Um, and I remember thinking a lot of it at the time. I'm wondering how it will hold up with 20 years hence and filtered through the rest of Zack Snyder's career. Were they the flaws? I, that- most people are still going to say it's his best movie. I, Watchmen was pretty good. Um, I, I I do not count myself with that because many people, for some reason, really don't like Watchmen. But they're wrong. Yes. Um, you should have a few <laughs> exits here. Sarah Polly, Academy Award winner Sarah Polly, as of last week, won for best uh, adapt original screenplay last week oh. uh, for women for women talking. Um, uh-huh. The great Ving Rhames, Mackay Pfeiffer, Ty Burrell, who's a big star on TV, Michael Kelly, who's a big star on TV. Of course, you've got the great Zack Snyder, uh, this director. I will say that I am not going to force us to watch the director's cuts of Watchmen or Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'm I not- watched that. We watched that two years ago. We liked it. Yeah, but I'm not putting us through another four-hour epic accidentally like I did with Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, the other big name I taste of this that George could use to get out of this is a bloke named George A. Romero who made a couple of little films you might have heard of. Um, so I, I, I'm feeling an elbow in the ribs, ladies and gentlemen. No, no, I'm just saying it's, 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 <laughs> it's, he, he has a writer's credit in this film because, of course, he wrote the original. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's maybe not, not lots of obvious exes, but I'm sure you'll figure it out. I will find something that will befuddle, confuse, and probably frustrate. <laughs> um, but there were so many choices for this. There were so many choices out of this film. Um, it was it was so... T- I was very tempted to go to what Wing Commander, which starred Matthew Lillard and Freddie Prince Jr. Oh I fucking God. used to oh. love that video game. Me too. I forgot that they had turned that into a movie. And it 
sucks. Like, it really blows. I fucking love that game. And I was so excited when the film came out. And I was like, oh, even as video game films go, it's one of the worst. It's probably <laughs> arguably one of the worst non-Uve Bowl video game films available. That is a slight, if ever there was one. <laughs> anyway, moving on. That's next week. Dawn of the Dead 2004. We'll keep it light. We'll keep it entertaining. Uh, yeah. At some point, well, I'm sure we'll go back to the serious ones. Yes. Now. Where should we go from here, my friend? We need to talk a little bit more current, and we should talk about Megan, as you said, or I would say it, Megan. Mthregan. 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 The latest horror thing? The latest Bloomhouse product. Um, Yes. Uh, The latest thing from James Wan himself, Australian uh, filmmaker, he of Aquaman 2. What a weird place just quietly the DCEU is at the moment because you've got Shazam's just come out, Shazam 2, and apparently it's not done very well. Mm-hmm. And so we all know James Gunn's rebooting the whole thing, but he's got this, The Flash, and Aquaman 2 coming out, and you're kind of like, so, yep. so what are these even? They're, they're like like I've been touting for years. It's all elsewhere stuff, Elseworld. And, you know, I, I love the fact that James Gunn listens to the show. I really James did. is a fan. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you want to come on, James, let's just talk. We'll so get that's this. the second idea we've had stolen. Rowan Atkinson stole your idea for Love Actually. And now <laughs> um, James Gunn stolen your idea for the Elseworlds. For yeah. the... Just wait, ladies and gentlemen. Some of the weird shit that... that it, it's only a matter of time before we get Porky's in space. Or video game movies as the new superhero films. And be like, I called it 10 years ago! <laughs> I remember! Uh, M. Freegan, M. Egan, is uh, a robotics engineer at a toy company, builds a lifelike doll that begins to take on a life of its own. That sounds like a very familiar plot. You might have seen that before with uh, Chucky, uh, yep. Child's Play. Thank Directed you, by Gerard John Stone, who I am not particularly a fan with, hasn't done a whole lot else. Um, written here by, as I said, the aforementioned James Wan, mm-hmm. he of the Saw series, um, he also uh, wrote and directed Aquaman. He directed mm. one of the Furious movies. He's mm. a bit of a big deal. Yep. And Arkayla Cooper, who I am not instantly familiar with. Um, your stars, uh, I think, sorry, Arkayla Cooper wrote Malignant and uh, Luke, on Luke Cage. Cage. I know a lot of people are very keen on yeah. Malignant. I am not one of them. Um, star-wise, you've pretty much the only actor in this I would say I would recognize on the street is yep. Ronnie Chang. Yep, same. And that's because he is sort of Australian, um, and he's on the <laughs> Daily Show sometimes, and I quite we quite like watching the Daily Show. And he he was one of the hidden little highlights of uh, Shang Chi as well. And he was in the Godzilla cameo as um, Genghis Khan in sneak peek for binge browse burn history of the world part two on disney that's right he was too um i think he was in godzilla versus kong as well crazy rich asians he's out and about doing stuff now it's great but for he's not the main star believe it or not not at all allison williams is our star also uh violet mcgraw are probably our one-two punch there Mm -hmm. Uh, i am not particularly au fait with their their work previously i think uh allison williams was best known for her Role on Girls. Um, was in Get Out. Get Out. I think she was the girlfriend in Get Out. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, but um, 
really more of a supporting role in that. Violet McGraw plays Katie, the young girl uh, in the film, and uh, she was in the house, Haunting of Hill House, which I know a lot of people liked. Yeah, that was um, cool. Anyway, uh, gist of the film, uh, Katie and her parents are driving through the mountains at the start of the film. There's a horrible car accident. Katie survives. Her parents do not survive. She is then sent off to live with her aunt, Gemma, played by Alison Williams. Gemma is a career-focused toy designer um, who's not used to having children around and doesn't necessarily adapt particularly well to being a parental figure for Katie. Mm -hmm. Uh, In uh, an effort to sort of uh, get around that fact that she's not really got the time or the desire to be a parent to Katie, she actually... Uh, decides to build her a best friend. She she has been working on a lifelike humanoid doll. The ultimate toy. The ultimate toy. She repurposes her prototype of that to be a friend and carer for Katie in her absence. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, however, her prototype works a little too well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wears AI. Things kick off from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny the the, the, the thing this show rem, the movie reminded me of was the episode of um, Rick and Morty, where Summer is left in the car. And he's like, "Keep Summer safe," uh, <laughs> and the car takes out a little bit too literally. <laughs> oh my god, it does! <laughs> um, and they did it probably better in half an hour than this film did in in, in its yes. its runtime of one hour forty two. This film I think does it quite effectively though. It, if there's a downside to this film, it's the fact that they've been made it with a PG thirteen rating in the US. Um, That's just stupid. Uh, I think the idea was it to be a little bit more gruesome, a little more brutal, but again, despite my objections. The studio pushed it to get them take out a lot of the, the the blood and gore and such to get it in under a PG thirteen rating. We've had a lot more people get to see it, and this mate film did do quite well for a low budget film. Um, so I think they're working, going to be working on a sequel. And it's got a seventy two Metacritic score. It's I'm not quite sure it's that good. Uh, so it made a hundred. It made a worldwide gross of ninety five, hundred and seventy five. Million dollars on a twelve million dollar budget. That's the kicker for Bloomhouse movies. They make them on a dime comparatively, and they only need to make two hundred million to be massive successes. And that's that's where they make the money. Where they reckon um, Avatar: Way of Water needed to crack two billion to yeah. break even. Exactly, and somehow fucking it did. Who went so I still haven't seen that film. Um, I, I really must get a chance. You get don't to it. do. You've watched the first one, or you need to. Go, oh, <laughs> the okay. thing is, it's like if I watch it on TV, it's going to be crap because it's not made for TV. It's made for a cinema screen. And do I really want to sit for three hours at the cinema? No, I don't. But you know, that's really the only way to see it. But anyway, um, <laughs> it's interesting. I think like I had to convince Michelle that this wasn't a scary movie or it wasn't a gruesome movie because it got a PG-13 rating. And I think it's in a way I would be interested in seeing an unrated version of this if they did actually film all the stuff. Yeah. Um, But as it is, 
it's quite clever because it's not a Chucky movie. No. This is actually, believe it or not, a film with a message. Yep. It is actually asking some interesting questions. It raises some philosophical issues. We're not talking, you know, world-changing shit like in Scooby-Doo, you know, the use of Shaggy as a Christ figure, you know. Like, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it lacks that nuance and subtlety that that film had. But um, <laughs> it does not translate just swapping the blood of Christ and the, the bread, the flesh of Christ, you know, the wafer, the Scooby snacks. Slow doing scoops. Um, it would, uh, <laughs> but it does have its, it does have its, its <laughs> you know, sometimes there is benefit to our obscurity. And <laughs> this might be one of those occasions. <laughs> uh, we will not be getting cancelled this week. We will not have people picketing our workplaces or anything like that because of our, oh, no. our, our blasphemy. <laughs> what Megan, I think, is asking questions about, though, is about it's, it, it could have been a Black Mirror episode, really. You know, yeah. it's selling, it's, it's, it's trading similar territory. Yeah. Technology, you know, is it if uh, w- what happens if we don't use it responsibly? What happens if we get our kids addicted to technology too young? Is it a bad thing? What will it look like? Yada, yada, yada. You know, mm-hmm. technology as a substitute for a human parent. You know, here's a, you, you could turn into a murderous robot. Your iPhone's probably not going to do that. But you don't know what they put in there, those fucking Apple cunts. Um, but, you know, it, that's the kind of territory it's trading here. It's not necessarily something we haven't seen before, but it's interesting to see it in a quasi-horror film. Yeah. What did you make of it? I thought it was... It had a lot of potential that was unrealized. Um, I think that it was a huge mistake to pander to a younger audience without cultivating the story to do the same thing. For um, I'm thinking of if they had done essentially what Joe Dante did with like the first Gremlins movie where that was packaged like a kid's movie. It was like, oh, it's a scary kid's movie. But it's fucking terrifying. And so like the conversations that Phoebe Cates has about like a dad breaking his neck coming down the chimney at Christmas and shit like that. That's, that's harrowing. And the opening of this movie is like, oh, the dog's dead. What the fuck? Uh, and and the, the so like reckless abandon of just like, oh yeah, cavalierly killing that um uh, that puppy and things like that. And it's like, oh that that was the kind of that hit me as like, yeah, I like that. Um, but it doesn't go that level. It goes, I don't know. It goes like almost like um, it's as if it's like me trying to poke you right now and do this. It's not going to do anything. Um, it's exorbitantly safe for you from any invasive intrusion or effect on you. And I don't think any of the things that really are designed to make you think or to make you jump or to make you go, go far enough to make it justifiable for any of its audiences, whether it's trying to be a kid's thing. I think it doesn't, doesn't hit that mark. And for adults, it doesn't hit that mark because it's not really scary. So 
I thought it was tense. Okay. Uh, I didn't go. I would not say scary, and I think they probably cut the scary out to get the PG-13 ready. Mm-hmm. On reference to Gremlins, I don't think it's a fair comparison because mm-hmm. I don't think there's any doubt. You can't do today what filmmakers could do in the 80s. Think That's of the, the Dark Crystal. Like, mm-hmm. I got taken to see that when I was probably seven. That's mm-hmm. a fucking terrifying movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, that scarred people for life. Like, I used to have a girlfriend. All I had to do to get her to jump out of her skin was go, mm, make bees. And she's like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> you know, and like, you know. But I, th- I think that we are in a world where, given the right people, I think that we could have that still to this day. I just don't think that anyone wants to because it is a very high risk movie to make. Maybe a hard sell. So that film was yeah. made before PG 13 existed. Mm. Um, so that was a new rating that was created for a Spielberg film. Well, he might have been Spielberg created PG 13 um bracket, I think. Or he helped, um, he did, he, yeah. Uh, I don't forget the um, I don't remember the film exactly it was created Mm. for. Um, Indiana Jones, apparently. There you go. Mm. Um, but uh, that was a PG film. It's a PG, I don't think, I think Mm. standards have moved. I mean. Could could you make a film like Gremlins Day? Yes, absolutely, you could. Would it get a PG thirteen rating? Absolutely not. I d- I don't think so. And so yeah, I guess I'm I'm measuring it unfairly. Apples and not as apples and oranges. You you just don't have that freedom to do to be scary in a kids film the way you did forty years ago. Kids, they get, <laughs> maybe that's why Gen X is the way it is. I don't know. Um, but but it, then, it, then yeah. that that leads into a whole different subject about sort of like what are kids scared of these days because so many when i was working for eb games so many eight-year-old kids would just happily just trashing shit on video games that were very hard 18 r-rated games and it's like yeah nothing phases them anymore they're, they're not they, anything unless they're it's kind of torture porn almost that is an interesting point isn't it that they're more protected in many ways by the powers that be yeah. The use of that word but well the mpaa in the states in particular mm. mind you vote like the uh, australian ratings board just gave starfield an r rating here in yeah. australia uh, so drug, drug use, use that, yeah so it's not like we're a whole lot better in terms of no. video games at least but like you're right like kids these days are a lot more desensitized to things because it's just there you know you can always find I, it online if you want it but i think uh, what's scary for kids these days is oh shit Grandma isn't giving me a hundred dollars. What the fuck do I do? <laughs> or, or, or do I have to some... get a real job? <laughs> Getting cancelled or something? I don't know. That's terrifying. <laughs> um, but you can't. I say objectively, yeah. I just don't think you can make a scary uh, adult or a mm-hmm. film like Gremlins. I just don't think we get a, a PG thirteen. But you know, if you disagree with me, please let, let us know. Um, I, I found yeah. it suitably <laughs> tense. I found the way Megan looked and moved super suitably creepy. They're really now the uncanny valley of her. Like she looks human, but not quite, right? Yeah. So she looks, and the way she moves, I assume they've got a very, very talented young actor um, playing a role. So sometimes it's a, a, a model, sometimes it's an actor. Or a I dancer. Amy McDonald is the actor's name. Very talented young girl, does a lot of the dance moves. She was in Sweet Tooth, which I think you. you I you enjoyed that a while ago yeah um so she um she's inside the outfit and it's a mask and i think they did digitally altered some stuff with afterwards mm-hmm. so i liked the design of the character i thought she looked really effectively creepy and when she gets down on all fours 
I hated that. I thought that was so pathetic. She's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to be threatening. Yes, I get it. That, that kind of like animalistic kind of nature, but she's a biped that she's going to be faster and it's going to be less clunky of a movement to just have a run fucking fast after that kid, her going down on all fours. It just doesn't look right because as human beings, we are not built to run on four legs. But it's not a human being. But we're, we're shown the, the basic outline frame of this um, this doll, and it's a, a traditional humanoid form, not with any other kind of additional rotation in arms or anything like that that would suggest it. And when it happens, it just looks clunky. Anyone who has done an acting course and they're... Um, or acting at school and being told by their drama teacher, okay, now pretend to be a dog. It is uncomfortable. It is not fast. It is not graceful. I, I disagree. I, I think it. I didn't think it looked clunky to me. It did look weird, but yeah. I think weird works in this sense because they want you to be off kilter. They want you off balance, and they wanted to move in a strange way. And she did move in a strange way. And logically, I, well, logic doesn't have a place in the film about a robot doll. Um, <laughs> Four, four-legged animals are faster than two, so yeah, because they're they're this you know structurally designed to be. You could argue that the programming of, a, of, a, of an android might have considered that it it could move faster on four legs and two, but I am sure that's taking it far too deep. And the filmmakers just did it because they, they just thought it looked cool, and I thought it looked cool and creepy. It was kind of reminiscent of the famous crab walk in The Exorcist. Um, that was creepier. Well, everything in The Exorcist was creepier because it was a much better <laughs> film than this. Um, but that was where it worked for me, and it was like that's kind of creepier. The way it moves is kind of creepy. Um, and honestly, it gets a lot less creepy when all the violence starts. But it was still kind yeah. of fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun movie. Not perfect. Nothing to write home about. As I said, the, the messages are. Nothing you haven't seen before, but it's interesting to see them, and it's and it raises interesting questions. It's probably, it, it's you know something for people to think about. But, um, and you know, I would have, as I said, I would have preferred to see the harder version. And apparently, they did, according to the trivia and IMDb, they did shoot an R-rated version. Okay. Uh, originally shot as an R-rated movie, uh, and they edited it down to a PG thirteen. So you wouldn't be surprised to see an unrated version at some yeah. point in the future. Yeah. The other thing that I will say about this movie is, yes, this is M. Thregan. It is a PG-13 thriller, scary movie. It's not trying to do anything particularly um, evolutionary with narrative storytelling, but I knew my, my superpower was screaming at me. I knew exactly how this movie was going to end, and I predicted it. And Chris, Crystal just said, "How did you know that?" Like because I'm me. And Does she know you at all? Or... <laughs> Mate, come on! As soon as in any movie, as soon as the child who has got some kind of emotional distance with the with the main adult in it, so he goes, "Oh, hey, what's that hanging up on the wall?" You suddenly go, "Oh, that's going to be important at the end." That's <laughs> it. Come on. I, I wasn't surprised. It wasn't surprised. I don't think anything's particularly original or surprising in this mm. film. I just think it's a nicely done little package. Uh, but and it's nice in a way, but I don't think it relied too hard on jump scares. 
there were some there, but they didn't. It didn't rely on them entirely the way a lot of films do. Mm. And for, I could watch it with my my partner, who is not particularly au fait with horror films. So um, yeah, that was a nice change. I didn't get to watch a lot of horror. Yeah, <laughs> it's because they don't make very good horror anymore. Well, they're very cheap and easy to make them badly. Blue House, you know, stand up, please. Um, you know, call it the Blair Witch effect, right? You know, they made that film for nothing and made a fortune. Yeah. Um, so it, you, there are always been a lot of shitty, lazy horror films. True. Um, but good ones do stand out a la, you know, The Exorcist of a Shining or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they are exceedingly rare. And they are hard to do. It's like a good comedy. Very easy to make a very average comedy. Hard to make a very funny one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Now, shall we move on to our third of the main movies for this? Sure. This was your suggestion. Tell us about it. This was not my suggestion per se. This was a recommendation from one of my friends at work who suggested, because we were talking, I was talking to her about The Consultant, which is on Prime Video starring Christoph Waltz. And she said, oh, there's a movie on Netflix with him in it. It's called Georgetown. Okay. She said, I won't say any more. Just check it out. So, all right, you know, give it a go. So, Crystal and I, we sat down and we gave it a go. And it's a very interesting movie. And it's directed by Christoph Waltz, starring him. It's got um, Annette Benning and Vanessa Redgrave as the um, other two main um characters in it and it skirts a very very curious line to the point where quite often i kept on kind of looking at this and thinking this this kind of falls in a very loose similar swimming pool olympic sized swimming pool as something like confessions of a dangerous mind where Mm -hmm. it takes a nugget of something real and then just kind of spirals out and just kind of tells its own story with that as at its as its launch point. Um, so this is a movie. Let me just pull it up right now. Uh, Georgetown. There we go. Came out twenty nineteen. Ulrich Mott, an ambitious social climber, marries a wealthy widow in Washington D.C. in order to mix with powerful political players, and this is loosely based on a true element where a much, much, much older woman, uh, socialite, highly connected woman in Georgetown was killed by her much younger lover, partner, husband. And that's the spawning point for this. It's, It's an interesting movie that I think fails at being an interesting movie purely because I'm more interested about what drove Ulrich Mott to be the way he is. There's so much... Christoph Waltz has created an interesting character where we don't actually see or hear any of his true background or we don't really see any truth from this guy because he is an absolute fabricator. And I'm just curious, like, okay, I'd be interested to see what he was like younger, what inspired him to be this social climber, what, what does he actually have a goal? What do you think? Um, you make a good point. 
it might have been more interesting if it was purely a character study about him mm. rather than sort of a quasi murder mystery. Mm. I mean, I have to be honest. Um, I hadn't I'd seen this one kicking around. I wasn't interested in it. Mm. Uh, it was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. But I uh, didn't need, I don't have your superpower of knowing what happens at the end. But what I do have is an almost fanatical addiction to true crime. Yeah. <laughs> so I, quite way through, I'm like, hang on. I know this story. <laughs> um, I, I don't know re- when or where or how I heard the story, but I had heard this story before because it happened. Mm. It happened a while ago. He was jailed in 2014. Yeah. Um, so I'd heard the story the whole time. And like, so halfway through, Michelle's like, do you think he killed his wife or was she murdered? I'm like, oh, he killed her. She's like, yeah. how do you know? Because I can remember the fucking story when it came out. Like, I've heard the story, a real story, and I assume they won't change the main elements being that, you know, he did it and he was a Reality fantasy. is flaccid. No, flexible. <laughs> um, but you're right. He is a fascinating character in the sense mm-hmm. of, like, was he ever – the scenes of him uh, saluting uh, soldiers, in Iraqi soldiers, like, mm. was he ever a soldier? film kind of leaves that up in the air a little bit about whether how much of what he's claims is actually true and that yeah. banning's character who is that vanessa redgrave's daughter yeah. uh constantly says he's everything he says is a lie and in the end I, she is correct as far as i can tell from the real life story mm-hmm. um the film doesn't tell us that no so you are actually it's a good comparison between um confessions of a dangerous man except that was a lot better than this yes. um but how much of what the main character story says is true and how much exists in their mind is left up to the audience to figure out. Um, and his story as a character might have been more interesting mm-hmm. or a little bit more of him coming up and meeting, you know, might have been a more interesting way to, to tell the story. As it is, it's broken up into four parts, I think. Yes. Most- turn the butler... And two more. I can't yeah. remember what they were called. Um, <laughs> but that's the structure of film. It's, I think the, the film starts with a dinner party. Mm-hmm. Vanessa Redgrave is found dead shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, uh, Christopher Walter's character is arrested, um, and then we sort of take we go back to the start to see him meeting um, Vanessa Redgrave's uh, she Elsa. And then sort of working his way into her life and sort of onwards and upwards through as a social climber. Well, that's part of the the interesting part for me is the fact that she was, you know, Vanessa Redgraves Elsa was very clearly aware that he was bullshit, and she she was it was it was portrayed to her uh, to to me at least it seemed like she was kind of very very bored. And she wanted to see how far this joke could go. When do you think she found out he was full of shit, apart from at the end of the story? I think pretty early on, honestly, because she, she you know, she it's uh, alluded to very quickly that she knew that um, he um, had uh, different sexual, sexual um, flavours, or however you want to put it, um, because we don't know entirely whether he's just gay. Or, or by or something by else. Or whatever. But um, she 
kind of stoically keeps quiet about it and it seems like there's some kind of conversation off screen of like not in my house sort of thing not in my presence because of what happens at the hotel um and just the way that she seems anytime he fails in making a connection with someone and pushing uh, pushing forward and convincing someone else of a lie that she is helping fabricate she seems disappointed so i think she's been she was on this pretty damn early i didn't get that impression okay I, with you that she definitely would have seemed to know about his sexuality mm-hmm. and his proclivities for seeking you know, sex partners outside the marriage mm. um and now as you said the scene in the hotel where she catches him in bed with another man i'm spoiling the film here now but you know um it, it kind of indicates that she this is not news to her. She's just kind of pissed that he's doing it here and now. Yes. Uh, so like, as long as I don't see it or I don't know about it, it's kind of good, you know? Yeah. Um, but when he, she helps him set up his consulting company and mm. she helps all of the introductions mm. and she seems to believe in what he's doing. What for, is- a good portion, for a good portion of the film, you know, um, she seems pleased at his progress. One of the things I think the film did well was it really showed, um, I mean, it was very obvious, but his progression from being very nervous and stuttering and you know, unsure of himself when he when he introduces himself to Elsa and mm. and, and some of his early contacts um, almost has to be goaded and pushed along by Elsa to do to make phone calls to where he is at the end where he's an incredibly smooth operator. Mm. Um, I, I thought the film portrayed that nicely, but she seemed pleased at his progress for most of the film. Yeah, like he, she's pleased that he's making his contacts and he's doing well. She sings his praises. Mm. Uh, I mean, probably the first crack seems to be the hotel scene when she realizes there was he's been lying to her in order to get her out of a hotel so he can um, meet up with somebody. Yeah, but I, I still think that a lot of it is just she genuinely seems incredibly bored and she sees this guy who is obviously hungry to pro- progress and he has no aspirations and i think she lasers in on that and just goes okay i'm gonna give you all these connections because what is his goal that's a good question i'm not sure i i think to yeah. to ingratiate himself with people of power yeah why i don't know money comfort he's he's a kept man why why keep pushing further and further and increasing the chances of being found out it's re- it's a really bizarre scenario to be in which is why i'm curious if we had seen his early life where he has always been like this or he came from somewhere that he had something and he's tried to claw back to to this level of kind of um social standing or he's got a vendetta against it and wants to bring it down or anything because he never the the one time i thought that he actually had a goal was the first meeting that he had to voice his thoughts of going into the middle east and trying to broker peace and the fact that that went so badly and we see him crying on the uh, on the bed it's like okay that I think that's the first time we've actually seen something honest of him. But then the way the movie ends, it's like, 
No, that was bullshit too. That was bullshit too. And the the thing that was he was seemed disappointed in that the scam didn't work. Whatever the scam was, I don't know why he thought, yeah, I can I can scam people and do this. I don't. What what is his benefit? Because it didn't seem like he was getting money. It seemed like he was just living off of Elsa. I think it's about ego. Mm. It's it's like um, uh, it's dopamine rush to pull these things off. Yeah. If you look at someone like Bernie Madoff, for example. Um, yeah. You know, like did he need to keep running his Ponzi scheme? I mean, I get, I don't know, understand if he exactly the technicalities how you get out of a Ponzi scheme once you're in a Ponzi scheme. But could he not have taken his money? And just gone and lived on a des- on an island somewhere, surrounded by beautiful women, like or boys, if that's what he's into. I don't know. Um, like, why do you? Why do scammers need to keep scamming? Why yeah. did Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos need to keep ramping things up at her end? Could she have, you know, knock it out while she was ahead, um, or anybody of those sort of people who who are famously, you know, um, con artists? Yeah, the con artists. I think it's almost. Um, instinctual but they need to keep doing it they mm. need the hit they need the rush it's like it's um, dr- um, i don't sorry it's their drug it's their drug it's that dopamine hit. if you're not getting it you're bored i, I mean i'm not going to go so far as to call these people psychopaths um but if you you know a lot of psychopaths do what they do because they're bored uh the, the, the violent kind not all of them are violent of course um it's a rush um and i think that's where they get off is they get off on 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 conning people and and once they get one over on somebody that the buzz from that is like for um you know the buzz that we get for performing for you people that's what it's like for them um but that's that that kind of thought process is one of the reasons why i think that elsa was aware of this from almost the beginning and it became her drug the thing that kept her going the the thing that she found interest in and when it fell apart she had she she went back to being like she was after her husband died at the beginning where she was just lying on a bed bored and she didn't want to go out and be pampered and babied as she says she wanted something more more adrenaline filled which is the bullshit scam and that's why she let Ulrich back. She knew she knew what was going on. And it's like, you know what? That is better than feeling nothing. That is an interesting theory. I, I didn't pick up on that. You could be, you have a fair point there. Um, I guess for me, mm. uh, you, you, you could be, you could be on point there in the sense that like once some, it could be also a sunk cost fallacy as well. I've come, yeah. sometimes people get so far into a relationship before they realize they've been conned or lied to or a person that they think they know they don't know Mm -hmm. um and it is a confronting thing to then try and turn around and back out of that situation after investing so much time and emotional energy into something and you you see it all the time of people who try and convince themselves that you know the thing that they know about somebody that they don't know if that makes sense well what the person they think they you found out this person isn't who they say they are Mm -hmm. but you work so very hard to believe that that's not true because you've come so far down the road and you it's a difficult thing to confront yeah my eyes are wide shut pretty much yeah yeah it's 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 hard to it's a hard thing to do so mm. i i don't i wouldn't blame the victim here for that in a sense mm. it's, it's it's challenging thing to actually confront and yeah. in the end of the day he's the real asshole here yeah um and a little um update they did not have scooby-doo growing up in 
China. I am not surprised. I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. Um, <laughs> yeah, but ghosts and things—they're very fussy about ghosts and stuff in China. Like, if you have supernatural themes, a lot of films don't get don't get released there. A la the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. R.I.P. Press F to play respects um, for the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. Um, uh, Ghostbusters Four just started filming. Yes, this it week. Did yes, it did, and it's back in New York apparently. We'll, we'll see what happens with that one. Shall Did we? you ever see the other one? The uh, uh, Jason Reitman one? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was all right. It was okay. Yeah, it, it, was, it was perfectly cromulent. <laughs> um, I think in, in overall, I was pleasantly surprised by this film. I think the hmm. acting was really what got it over the line for me. Yeah. Christoph Waltz and Vanessa Redgrave are just doing what they do. Um, and I thought they were wonderful. Um, re Christoph Waltz is just par excellence, you know, as an actor. He, mm. There are a few better than him when he's on form. I found myself going, man, they wasted him as Blofeld in his Bond films. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Because um, he's really great doing menacing characters, but um, he, can, he can sort of go from, you know, mild-mannered to menacing and snap yeah. your fingers. And, and uh, it was fantastic. Uh, and a reasonable director, even if the end seemed a little rushed. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the direction that was stable, but not inspired. Um, and I, I think that if he... Uh, it's always strange with so many uh, first-time directors. They seem to so frequently love telling stories out of order or in kind of, um, sort of like bite-sized pieces, I guess maybe per what I was talking about with Scooby-Doo of having the three storylines means you can jump from one to another to another easily. Maybe it is just a slightly easier production to do that. So like, okay, so everything that we are filming for the next three weeks is going to be in this time frame. And now we're going to this time frame, and now we're going to this time frame, and we can stitch it all together later on, and everyone can go off on their way, uh, happy little journeys, etc. Um, but I would like to see Christoph Waltz do and get another directorial position for something a little bit more linear, and uh, but I do think that considering where his skill as an actor is, I think focusing on those character-based things is a good going to be a good way to go i do i i can't imagine christoph Waltz doing it but i don't want him to suddenly come out and say like oh yeah i'm directing the next wonder woman <laughs> fast and furious 12 directed by christoph waltz harry potter revival this is me <laughs> although he would make probably a good voldemort Uwe Boll, Christoph Waltz, together at last. Oh, no. <laughs> It'll happen. Every actor wants that paycheck randomly. <sighs> I, I, it, was, it was a decent, decent Netflix film. Mm, I think so. I think so. Now, should we move on to the final portion of our show? Let's do it. I think you've got a cut. We've got an entry we share tonight yes we do but first i want to do something we haven't done in a while because it's many 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 things have been going into the browse column a few casual uh, binges i have got a 
certified 100% burner. And it is the TV series version of True Lies. Oh, okay. Where are you watching this? I think it was on Disney Plus, if I remember. I stomached my way through one episode, and that was more than enough. And, oh, boy, is it bad. Oh, sweet mama pajama. This is really, really bad. Uh, for those who do not know about True Lies, it is based on a Jim Cameron-directed Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis classic action comedy movie. And the TV show has the following synopsis. An unfulfilled suburban housewife is shocked to discover that her bland and unremarkable computer consultant husband is a skilled international spy. And, yeah... That's what they try for. Unfortunately, the audience ends up becoming the unfulfilled suburban housewife in this. I see they've cast uh, Ginger Gonzaga in the role of Helen, which is um, mm -hmm. uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's role from the film. Mm -hmm. You might remember her from such classics as Nikki Ramos and She-Hulk. Um, I don't think anybody remembers anything pleasant about that. Yeah. Um, how does she hold up against Jamie Lee Curtis? Academy Award winner, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, she is not a bar of Jamie Lee Curtis in any way, shape, or form. Jamie Lee Curtis, when we first meet her in the movie, is fantastic at playing a housewife that is bored out of her fucking mind. And the... The journey that her character goes on and the evolution of her character and her individual wants and needs, it is phenomenal. And it has become part of cinema legend. The There's a sequence in the movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is hidden in shadow and he's playing a, a, a tape, uh, like a dictaphone tape, and she has to seduce him because he has set her up on a fake mission because he realized in the movie that she wants excitement. That's what, that's what he gives her. And then hijinks ensue from that. And she has this legendary moment where she suddenly is stumbling around doing this sultry, sexy dance. And you see her through the physicality of Jamie Lee Curtis go from this very, very nervous woman feeling uncomfortable in tights and a, and a tight fitting skirt and a, dolled up to be sexy and pretty, which was not her traditional day-to-day -day regime, to suddenly get into this point where she is really sexy. The, the ever-impressive Harry of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is like the best spy in all the, all the world, forgets who he is and just, he, he drops things and he's like, oh! And the, you see, you get that wonderful power shift. In this, Ginger, they have such a... It, it seems like a typical modern type of storytelling for the, for the kind of role of that, um, that somewhat downtrodden or bored housewife or house husband, where they do something radical that the other one doesn't know about, and it's, it's minuscule. And you see her drop the kids off, and then she drives 100 miles an hour, because this is set in America, I can say 100 miles an hour. 
and she drives to her friends and then she's like oh that was thrill and excitement it's, it's like okay yep she wants excitement there are much better ways of showing that and portraying that through the character than a slap in the face with obvi obviousness now who plays harry in this we have got steve howie steve howie who i household name yeah i do not know who he is um he was in stan helsing oh well, they're, they're very important doa movie i liked that <laughs> melissa george in it it was great it's it really spot. terrible melissa george i do um not melissa george holly valance my bad sorry holly valance other neighbors star mm -hmm. holly valance mm -hmm. yeah no it's and eric roberts you're just ticking off a list of why not to watch this <laughs> but um the tv show just one episode i am not going back for more because it is trash it is unexciting the so like the the spy sequences that we're witnessing they seem like painfully low budget mission impossible style things of like well of course something goes stupidly wrong hey we've got got our mascot cat it's it's it is charles there there we go charles yeah. yes of course the one armed charles um yeah it's bad and i'm not going to say any more on it because this is binge browse burn i've spoken too much on it i will be avoiding that yes please do it does not <laughs> uh, my deserve first, to continue my, my first one is a controversial call oh. because i'm going to revisit uh the last of us because we now have a oh. complete set the season has the, finished the finale is done and i am going to keep it in the binge category but i'm sorry the last episode was absolutely terrible okay it was it was almost enough to move it the last third of a season was almost enough to move it into the browse category oh but when it's good it's really good and like there are probably there are nine episodes and mm -hmm. i would say seven of them are very good mm -hmm. very very good unfortunately the two that aren't are episode seven and nine mm. so it's a bit like a band going to see a band and then they do their encore and they just play three unknown songs the middle one was okay but like the other two were a bit eh. <laughs> i remember i saw you two about 15 years ago and then they they came back out for encore and played some song that bono wrote with luciano pavarotti or something and it was just like I'm like oh this is terrible like you've got so many really memorable songs whether i like them or not this isn't one of them yeah. um so it was a bit like that so the last episode and this is the interesting thing is so many people i've read or oh, and like reviews just say, oh it was perfect it was a perfect end it was amazing and of a series and like when this happened it was just incredible and i'm like i was flummoxed because I was really bored. I found the whole last episode really dull. They wasted 10 minutes on the backstory of why Ellie is immune to the the fungus in that's killed that turns people into zombies. Um and apparently that's not in the game. No. no. Um but they needed to insert that anyway. But that's it. Yeah. Uh and 10 minutes of it though. Like I guess you got to put it in there. 2 minutes. 10 minutes of a 40 minute episode of a last session season finale they wasted on something that didn't add anything to it for me it didn't add to the actual story for no, me i mean like i, I don't really everything is the thing i don't care if she's immune i understand that she is yep 
That's that's right, all that you need. A minute or two of explaining it might have gone, oh, okay, that's a little bit of extra context. It's fine. But it was a it was 10 minutes. It was really I'm like, oh, can they get to the fucking point already? Um, and then it just sort of fades out that last episode. He sort of fades out and just ends. That right. apparently that's exactly how it ended in the game. So yeah. Uh, a lot of people who played the game were very pleased that they decided to keep the ending as sparse and vague as that in the game um, with the questions and things that people were asking. Uh, we all know it's getting another season. You know, we all know Joel dies at the start of his second game because... Spoilers! Yeah. <laughs> well, the game's been out for a few years now. So, oh, and people... Played the game, Travis. People lost their shit about it. So um, that's all to come with whenever the season two comes out. I was really, really disappointed in the last episode. But I guess if that's how the game ended, then, you know, kudos to the film, the creators for staying on point and, you know, uh, sticking it to it. It's just two very obvious filler episodes in this season. Uh, I know people, I, I talked about it way back, but the, the second, uh, third episode, which was just one of the most beautiful hours of television I've ever seen in my life. The one with Nick Offerman? Yes. Yeah. And you could be argued it doesn't necessarily move the story forward a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it adds enough dark and light and some shading to the story that it that it was worth being there. What I don't it think is- belongs is that there's a second episode just like that in episode seven, where apparently it's based on a DLC from the game. Uh, where we learn about how Ellie got bitten, and her I mean it absolutely confirms that yes, she is gay, and we meet her girlfriend, and I'm like, uh, this is really this whole this really cool story going on. I don't really care that much about this, you know. Uh, Give me a, again like a ten minute flashback to that if you want to, but the whole episode, oh, it was a bit of a yawn fest. So it's still really decent TV, and most people enjoyed at least the last episode a lot more than I did. So, um, you know, my recommendation is to give it the binge because it's worth signing up for a 10-day trial, free trial, smashing it, and then cancelling because as it comes to video game adaptations, I think it might be the best we've ever seen, mm. even with a very dull last episode. At least it was it, it faithful. It treated its source material with real respect. Mm. I guess that's what you get when one of the one of the co-creators of the game is is right. the yeah <laughs> the showrunner, you know. I mean, it, it it took them this long to figure it out. We'll see. In Fallout is coming soon, so yeah. um, it's going to be fascinating to see what we yeah. next. Yeah, absolutely. Have they learned their lesson? Mm-hmm. Now, before we do our shared browse, I think I think it's going to be a browse for you at least. Our mm-hmm. shared shared one. Um, I want to just touch on Pokerface. Have you had a chance to finish watching any? I haven't finished watching it because I would say, where, where would you place it in the free tiers? It is a healthy browse. I it, would it, say, how many episodes have you watched? Did you watch it all? I watched all. I got about halfway through and I've moved it down from binge to browse because I think it's a bit samey. I find them get increasingly dull as the season goes on. Hmm. There's... Um, there are, there's one episode in particular that has some really interesting bits and it has got a Ryan Johnson familiar of um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt making an appearance. Um, 
<clears throat> and it is quite good. And there are elements of the season finale that are really quite good. Um, but this very, very much becomes very quickly uh, formulaic in its kind of approach to how the story is going to tell. Um, everyone in it does their great does a great job. But this is, for all intents and purposes, a new generation's this generation's option for a Columbo, where it's it's a serialized show. You know what you're going to get going in. You know how it's going to end, probably. But it's it's kind of satisfying, and that's that's why I this is a healthy browse for me. It's I, not I get, it's the strength is in is in the star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's really some of the early episodes i think maybe the ones that um ryan johnson wrote mm-hmm. are the better ones mm-hmm. but natasha leone is what carries us through it does get a little bit formulaic in different parts of the show mm-hmm. and you're a little bit like i do notice they change them up a couple of times to keep you guessing you're like okay good for you but yeah i uh, it's kind of a bit too much of a good thing, a little bit too formulaic for me. But also, just back on the other side, it's the type of TV you don't see made very much anymore. It's in, yeah. not, not really. It's not really a season-wide arc. Mm. There is the sort of a background story about it, Benjamin Brown. There is, there is, but it um, sort of gets tied off at the end of the season, but it leads to uh, to, to further adventures. Um. But yeah, they don't they don't make too much TV like that really anymore. And so it's nice to have that as an option and to have it produced and acted and directed in a solid solid fashion so you go, you know what? This has got this is worthwhile. This is entertaining. I can pop in, pop out. Not really going to miss a beat if I miss an episode. You just know what you're going to get in the story. It's, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is very fine, and it maybe it outstays its welcome a little bit for for the length. Maybe they could have just gone. All right, you know what? We can take one or two of these episodes out because they are filler. But we were able to get Nick Nolte into this one, so that's kind of cool, right? <laughs> they got some big names in there, that's for sure. So that was impressive. I guess that comes with um, that comes with the name of Ryan Johnson on the box. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Now, last shared one is is a sequel to a very very famous comedy uh, classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think that would be fair to put it. History Mel of the World Brooks. Part Two. Yes. Have Mel- you seen History of the World Part One? Yes. I literally time. had to go and watch it after watching this. And it's not very good. No, it's really not. It's an like, interesting kind of um, concept, and it was certainly something that I don't think was particularly prevalent as a style of comedy back then, except for the the type of comedy that was within this kind of almost like it was almost like Monty Python now for something completely different. It's similar, isn't it? I found yeah. what was interesting going back and watching History of the World Part 1 is there's a song and dance routine about mm. the um, Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition. Da, da, da. Um, <laughs> and I was like, that's only a few years after 
you know, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah. So, like, two legendary surrealist sketch comedies mm-hmm. made about the Spanish Inquisition in a number of years. Interestingly, John Cleese was apparently supposed to start in uh, History of the World Part 1, but had to drop out. Um, that would have been an interesting comic yeah. crossover. Yeah. Uh, part 2, what do you think of it? Um, so let's just get this right out there first and foremost. This is not a movie, ladies and gentlemen. This is an eight-episode miniseries. Yeah. And it's, again, got that kind of sketch show element to it. And it's very hit and miss. Like, uh, there's, uh, we, I was watching some last night and I messaged, messaged Travis about it. And um, he said, like, yeah. And I'm like, um, what was it? Uh, uh, God, the, the jackass thing. Oh, the uh, Rasputin. Jack, Jack Sputin, yeah. 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 That, that, was, that was actually quite good as a little catch. It was, that was very, that really made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, I think, so if you, it's basically a sketch comedy show on different sketches based on yeah. historical events and historical figures. So you might skip from Shakespeare, um, played by Josh Gad, yeah. through to a story about General Ulysses Grant in the Civil War, yeah. to Rasputin and the Romanovs. Rasputin in the, is played by Johnny Knoxville, and I'm like, okay, that's amusing. And then five minutes later, we cut back to a different scene. Uh, this is Welcome to Jack Sputin, and this is getting stabbed in the back and thrown in the River Navarre. And, <laughs> and it actually had Chris Pontius as well. From yeah. Jackass in his underpants, dancing around like you would, and it's just like, <laughs> oh no, that now, now that is very very funny. I'll pay yeah. that. Whereas the, the Shakespeare sketch was a bit that was funny. I, I liked that because it's the just the idea of William Shakespeare having a writer's room. room is, yeah, is pretty good. <laughs> that, that was funny, and he's like he's just stealing people's ideas. Yeah. Um, whereas the General Grant stuff was a bit. Yeah, that's that's very very middling. Um, I kind of like the Nick Kroll stuff. Uh, he's he's in a few different sketches, like he's Judas Iscariot, and that's kind of funny. Where it's it basically follows through a couple of different scenes how Judas Iscariot becomes the guy that gave up Jesus, and <laughs> it very much plays into sort of like the 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 jewish factor and it's all like oh god i don't know if i should laugh at that but it's it's also funny like he pisses on jesus sandals and he's told <laughs> you've got to wash them off but it's like oh god no i don't want to i have a thing about me <laughs> it's it's kind of funny but it's cringe comedy and then he's got another character where he's um uh in in russia in it's like a rural part of russia and then he's he's selling mud uh, mud cakes and things, and he's sort of like the very quintessential Jewish voice that you will have heard him do on Big Mouth. And it's like, okay, this isn't quite hitting. But in other bits, he's kind of funny, like the Dancing on Ice Hitler. <laughs> that That's a reference to the first one, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was funny. I think they are short and sweet. What are they, uh, half an hour or so? Yeah. Um, from memory. Um I think they're in the browse category, but I think they're worth a look only because of the involvement of Mel Brooks. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much Mel had to do with him. The man's in his 90s, you know. Um, I don't know that he has a writing credit on these. He's just credit. the narrator. Narrator, yeah. Um, he's got a well, he has got a writing credit, but I mean, eh, based upon, yeah. I wonder how much he had to do with this. Mm. But 
Um, then again, like I said, I watched part one, and apparently that's that's in that's in peak Mel Brooks territory in the eighties, and it wasn't very good. It was very much the same sort of thing. There were parts of it like when Moses walks out with the stone, the stone tablets, yeah. and he drops one. He goes, "Oh, there are only ten commandments after all." <laughs> Um, you know, or one great line we in France where he says, Don't get saucy with me, Bernays. Um, and you're like, Oh, that's very funny. I'm paying that. Um, yeah. but you know, it was very hit and miss as well. Yeah. So it's just, I think, the nature of that kind of comedy. Yeah. It's just like they're throwing as much as the wall as they can and seeing what sticks. Yeah. But when it's good, it's really good. And you know, yeah. it's Mel fucking Brooks, he's got. A lot of cachet to make a lot of mistakes if he wants to yeah i i will i will give him the time of day thanks to so many of his movies i mean come on space balls blazing saddles oh, just got the producers yes oh um this is quite refreshing for it it's a different style of comedy show that we don't really get anymore it's if you want if you look at comedy on tv it's sitcoms it's not really sketch shows unless you're looking at saturday night live but that's not telling narratives like this is kind of loosely telling a bit of a narrative um so it's really nice to kind of see this and i hope it does bring about this opportunity to re reinvest in the absurdist comedy that monty python was so famous for and um and mel brooks done and this is doing it it's it's another form of the art that i don't want to see go away i i don't know but i hold your hold a lot of hope um i think mel brooks gets it because he's mel brooks his name on something sells tickets you know so to speak um yeah. but uh i i too would enjoy the chance to see something like that but you know mm. It's probably a difficult thing to sell. Yeah, because I, I, I've always thought it would be great to have like an absurdist comedy show based around a high school. There's there's the opportunity to interweave them, but you've got some of the teachers doing their thing. You've got kids doing their thing. You've got the um, the general staff, like the people in the kitchens or the groundskeepers and the parents. You've got all these wonderful avenues that you can just go off and do your own thing on and you can have as a, a, a cast of characters and actors and just have them kind of playing all of them i i think there's there's a lot of possibility there but yeah well it's I, there for you to write but i put it out onto the internet so you know jj abrams you want to steal an idea <laughs> i don't know that comedy is his strong suit mm, yeah yeah. Then again, filmmaking is probably not his strong suit. Ooh. On that knife, ladies and gentlemen, I think that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will endeavor to make sure that we are back to our regular schedule programming just a little bit after 7.30 most Wednesdays. <laughs> um, we have been talking about Scooby-Doo, our latest chain movie. We have got Dawn of the Dead for our next link in the chain, thanks to Travis choosing a particularly interesting one that I'm looking forward to going back to. We talked about M3, Megan, um, as well as the Christoph Waltz directorial debut, Georgetown and binge browse burn with a very solid possibly our first solid 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 burn of true lies we had our 
hanging on to the end binge of Last of Us, as well as solid Poker Face and History of the World Part 2 browsers. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. And don't forget, like Tanya, who was the recommender for Georgetown, if you have a recommendation for us to watch, shoot us over at twitch.tv slash producers, Twitter, at the Fry Brain, at Evil Trav, on Facebook, facebook.com slash producers. Hit us up with your recommendations, and we will endeavor to do our best and put those into the rotation. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Good night. Good night. Buy my book. book. Buy it. All of it. Like every page. <laughs>